Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Are you looking for a designer to help you with your next product or startup? When I'm not working on the show, I'm busy working as an award-winning chief design officer and have been doing software design for startups and other companies for over 20 years. I'm also a published author and recently sold a startup to a multi-billion dollar company. For more information, visit kevinhorick.com. That is K-E-V-I-N-H-O-R-E-K.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have David and Catherine, co-founders of Apollo Neuroscience. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys on the show. Uh, like I was mentioning a few minutes ago, I am the perfect person, in my opinion, to use your technology. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know each one of you a little bit better. And David, maybe do you want to start off with it? Because from what I understand, you actually came up with it. Sure. Where would you like me to start? Maybe if you want to start off just giving a little bit of background on kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, and, and kind of how you guys maybe, and then we'll talk about it, kind of how you guys met, um, and then we'll let kind of Catherine uh, give a little bit of an overview on herself. Sounds good. Um, so my name is David Rabin. I'm a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist. Okay. Uh, and I've been studying chronic stress and um, the way chronic stress affects our ability to perform and recover and respond to illness okay. uh, for just over 10 years. Wow. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area. My parents are both physicians actually, uh, who were some of huge inspirations to me growing up. Uh, they were the first people in their families to become, uh, to become physicians. And they were very passionate about uh, helping the community and providing care to the underserved and particularly immigrants who did not have access to healthcare. Okay. Um, and that was something that always inspired me to see, uh, you know, how much of a, of a positive role they played in the community awesome. with their ability to provide healing for, for these different people. Um, but for me, one thing that I noticed was, was that they worked really, really hard to provide care for, you know, six to 12 people a day, sometimes more, um, but you know, my dad was also a research scientist and, uh, an electrical engineer. And, you know, when he would, he was doing research, uh, in my teens on a break from his clinical practice and brought me into the lab to see the kind of work he was doing. And I instantly realized watching what he was doing and seeing the impact of some of the publications that he had written in the past that, um, when you do, when you combine research with clinical medicine, it creates an opportunity to help rather than six to 12 patients a day. Uh, potentially help millions of people um, who have uh, who suffer from different health conditions and uh, really create changes in public health that are much more impactful. And so um, I ended up uh, pursuing um, clinical basic science and neuroscience because that's what interested me the most and originally focused on dementia and the aging diseases of blindness. And then realized after about six or seven years of working in the basic science lab with, with uh, cells that I'm much much preferred working with the, um, the whole person and health on a whole, whole individual's level. 
uh, and a community level. And so I went into seeing that mental health in particular was something that an area of medicine that was um, particularly underexplored and lacked in effective treatments. Uh, I decided to uh, pursue mental health, uh, which was a great bridge for my neuroscience experience of chronic stress. And over the last uh, five years, um, particularly at the University of Pittsburgh. Originally, I trained at um, Albany Medical College, okay. and then I went to uh, the university with uh, Sally Temple, who was a huge impact in my life as well. And she discovered that there were dividing adult stem cells in the adult brain, uh, which is something that we didn't know in the uh, 70s and 60s, but now we know very well the the adult brain can, has plasticity. And so um, we, I then uh, worked at Pitt to figure out how to tap into that system of, of learning the, the adult ability in adults to learn new things quickly uh, and figured out that we can do that using things like sound and vibration through the skin. Um, and uh, that led into how Catherine and I actually ended up working together. Very cool. Um, Catherine, do you maybe want to give a bit of background and then we'll get kind of talk about how you guys met and working together? Yeah, sure. So I'm Catherine Fantazzi. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Apollo Neuroscience. I'm from upstate New York. Um, I hail from a little town called Mistyuna, which is about uh, 20 miles west of Albany, which is the capital. Okay. And uh, Schenectady and uh, Mistyuna is actually the home of GE. Oh, and funny enough, yeah. yeah, funny enough, there's uh, two other co-founders uh, from my town. Uh, one is the co-founder of my fitness pal, and the oh, other is the co-founder of, Air, of Airbnb. Wow. Um, it's, it's a funny little town because uh, it's, just outside of the GE research circle. And so, uh-huh. you know, when I grew up, I thought everyone had a PhD or was a lawyer or a doctor because it's just this epicenter of uh, folks that are all kind of working on research uh, in a really uh, research and technology and innovation. Um, so it's a, a little known, uh, a little known hub of innovation. Um, but yeah, growing up, uh, Growing up, I, you know, grew up in this little town, and I um, ended up meeting David um, after uh, I had, so I did my, I did my undergrad work at Smith College, okay. um, traveled abroad, and I um, did some graduate work uh, at the, um, the Rockefeller College, which is part of um, the Albany system, the SUNY system. And I began my first work uh, at the Energy Research and Development Authority in New York, which is actually in the public sector. So it's interesting is my background is in uh, behavioral economics and finance. And I, um, I came out uh, right as the economy crashed. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> uh, wasn't a great time. Um, but, you know, growing up, my father, um, you know, my father was a doctor and a businessman. He um, started his own practice and everyone in my family has um, has always worked in for the public benefit, whether okay. that's in private business or otherwise. And so, you know, growing up, I watched my dad, and he was always um, the guy that everyone turned to anytime there was a challenge to overcome, uh, or problem to be solved, or a person who was sick and needed care. Um, my dad was always the one that got everything done, and he was the one you could always rely on. And he's always been an inspiration to me. And what he taught me is that nothing in life that's easy is generally worth doing. And that if it were, if things are easy and everyone else is doing it, you should definitely use your talents to do something else because there are Good big advice. problems to solve. 
What's that? That's really good advice. Yeah. (laughs) And that you need a skill, right? And that most important in life is being able to solve problems and bring people together and valuing relationships um, and leaving the world better than when you came in. And so uh, my first work at the Energy Research Development Authority was actually on um, being able to understand how to take early stage technologies that were coming out of R&D, but weren't quite making it, weren't really accelerating the way they should, um, even though they were really great technologies and finding a way to help accelerate their adoption in the marketplace and, and really um, speed up the innovation process and speed up the way that people could access new technologies to improve their lives. And in, in the beginning, that was running a fund or working on a fund um, for uh, the state that eventually got rolled into the Green Bank um, to help accelerate te- uh, technology adoption. Interesting. Um, and then also working on um, low interest and uh, revolving loan funds to help accelerate adoption of um, solar technology. Interesting. And David and I, David and I met um, in Albany while I was doing that work, and he was finishing up his PhD. Um, and we met at a, at a house party, and David was uh, very interesting to me. Uh, I liked his brain a lot. <laughs> I thought he sure. was a very creative and innovative guy who had a lot of big ideas, um, and we had a lot of fun together from the very beginning. Uh, Dave and I are very active and do a lot of things together. Uh, we're avid skiers and sailors, uh, and uh, we also are just community builders. So whether that's building our own team or building – community around us. Um, David and I have been working on projects really since we met. Very cool. And then obviously you guys ended up getting married. Yeah, well, along the way. <laughs> along the way. Apollo actually happened before that happened. Okay. But yeah, along the way. Very, very cool. So I really want to dive into how did you guys come up with Apollo Neuroscience and what exactly is it? So Apollo came out of my work at the University of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and that work originally was focused on uh, understanding the safety pathways in the body because I worked with people who have very severe mental illness, uh, people who often are considered to be what's called treatment resistant to Western treatments. So they've been through two or more treatments of medicine and or psychotherapy and failed those treatments, uh, and they're still symptomatic. And they have PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, addiction disorders and things of that nature. Uh, And so I would see those people and what I realized from what they were telling me and watching their their, uh, clinical progress when we started working together was that when we would, I would taper them off of most of their medicines and they would practice certain techniques that involved, uh, you know, enhancing their own feelings of safety and they would get better. And particularly in the office, they would say, you know, I feel substantially better here working with you, but then they would leave the office and they would oftentimes have symptoms relapse and they would return uh, and they would, uh, or start using substances again. And this was a constant challenge and it's a constant challenge for every mental health provider or clinical provider who works with these folks. And so, you know, we started working on techniques that enhance safety because my patients say the main reason why I don't feel like I can, I, I'm able to, uh, to keep my symptoms away when I'm out of the office, the office with you or out of my, my uh, meditation or yoga sessions or whatever it was, is because they don't feel safe in their normal environment. And so that really got me thinking because there's a lot of really good techniques for inducing safety that have been around for thousands of years, some of which are soothing, calming music, 
which is used oftentimes in many cultures for uh, healing. And, and we now use it for musical therapy and psychology. And then also uh, soothing, calming, uh, gentle touch, uh, like massage or other kinds of, of touch therapy, acupuncture and things of that nature. And so I started studying those therapies and then studying meditation and mindfulness and biofeedback. And it turns out that almost all of these techniques induce similar states in the brain and the body that correspond to a state of safety. And that state of safety is something that you can measure with a heart rate monitor and a, and a respiratory monitor and, and brainwave measurements and these different uh, lab techniques. And so uh, I realized that the two ways to induce safety in somebody most powerfully immediately without requiring any effort from them were uh, gentle human, gentle soothing touch and music. And so we basically studied from studying all of this literature from the past we pulled out the frequencies that had been studied that seemed to be the most effective at um, inducing these safe states in the body. And then we started testing them on ourselves and our lab uh, and our colleagues. And we found that there were certain frequencies that really stood out uh, when people felt them within minutes, they just felt calmer and they felt more focused. Wow. And so uh, after about a year of playing around with that, uh, we, Catherine helped us raise money for our clinical trials at the university and then we were and then we showed through double blind randomized placebo controlled clinical trials that without a doubt these these unique layered frequencies are uh are especially effective at changing the body and changing the um mind body relationship to improve things of focus and calm that actually show real performance gains on stressful tasks in the lab yeah and and so i guess uh from my perspective david had been doing this research and uh, being the New Yorker and the skeptic that I am, I was, <laughs> awesome. uh, you know, I was like, you're going to use vibration to help people deal with their stress. Uh, okay, sure. sure. <laughs> and then as the research, as the research progressed, it was very promising and the university approached David around entering these entrepreneurial competitions to get non these like research dollars to be able to further prove out his technology. And well, that's kind of my whole background. And so David came to me and said, Hey, Catherine, I don't even know what a pitch deck is. They want me to come into this. Uh, they want me to pitch for, for money to, to fund some research. Would you mind helping us? And I said, Oh no, sure. And so we raised um, several hundred thousand dollars wow. worth of non-dilutive funding. And then, David went ahead with his colleague, Dr. Greg Siegel at the university, and they began to do uh, trials. The first of which was a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled crossover trial, because the truth was for us is that we had tried it on ourselves and found that we felt more relaxed or that we felt like we could fall asleep or focus better. But, you know, trying it on yourself, you're naturally biased. And so both of us wanted to see real clinical data that was blinded to be able to feel comfortable that the technology was, you know, worth continuing to pursue. And then when the results came back, we saw that we increased people's feelings of calm under a stress task and that we uh, increased their ability to perform on that task. We increased their accuracy substantially. And that very interestingly, the technology reversed the futility process. So most people, what I mean by that is normally when you are doing something monotonous or stressful, what ends up happening is you're trying to focus on that thing. Like imagine being stuck in, you know, a standardized test and, uh, or, or taxes. 
and okay. you're working at something, but you are now getting distracted because it's awful and you're bored. And, and you worried you missed the last question. And you start having these negative intrusive thoughts that are either, wow, this is so boring or, oh God, I'm so bad at this. And yeah, what ends up happening is your brain activity goes up and up, but your performance goes down. Yeah. Well, can, what, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but can I give you an example and you tell me if this is what we're talking about? Because I, I think I struggle with this like to a T. Like if, yeah. I have okay. to, if I have to send even like a simple email to somebody important, I find that like that is almost one of the most stressful things for me. Even if it's like mm -hmm. two sentences, I'll end up even like spelling something wrong. And then you feel like a complete idiot because you're like it's such a simple task, but you're so like worried about – everything else you screw up almost like the simplest thing in that task is is that a, an example of what we're talking about or what are your thoughts on that yeah you've absolutely nailed okay at least one example of how this works so what happens is it particularly if something's either you hate it you're bored sure. or it really matters and yeah. it's super stressful to you because if you write this email in a great way, this guy's going to contact you. But if you don't, yeah. he's going to think you're a dope and he's not going to want anything to do with you. Yeah. And, and what ends up happening in the box, there's a real reason for what, what you've described, your typo or the missing word or whatever it might be. The reason that happens physiologically is that your body gets stressed out. Sure. And what happens is you start to sweat and your heart rate goes up. And what's called your heart rate variability goes down. And what this is, is fight or flight. Sure. And so what ends up happening is your body is going, there is a bear. We need to escape. Meanwhile, your poor brain is just like, no, I have to write this email. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and what ends up happening is it's signaling to your brain, we are under threat. We must flee or hide. We are under threat. And what ends up happening is part of your brain activity is deviated to dealing with your body being all stressed out sure and then your performance tanks yeah because yeah. right or i and find it happens. like mindful like even tasks that are really really simple i find i'll screw them up too sometimes and you're just like you just feel like an idiot because you you make like a typo and something because you're you're not even thinking about the task or i find sometimes it's like did i even lock the the front door because yeah. i wasn't thinking about locking the front door it's like i was thinking about something totally unrelated right and then you have to go back and check yeah that's that's exactly right and what that really comes down to is is how present are you i think you mentioned mindfulness sure and you know being mindfully present with your tasks means that a hundred percent of your available attention is on the task at hand and when a hundred percent of your attention is on the task at hand then you're going to do that task to the best of your ability without making mistakes sure and if 50% or more of your attention is diverted to other things, then you're going to be really likely to make mistakes, even in the most simple tasks. Sure. And so, and that's really what we showed and what we showed in the lab. Um, and the task that we use is exactly like you described. It's a very simple task that is very difficult to do when you're stressed out. Um, and the way that Apollo improved uh, works to, to improve this response and is by uh, sending these gentle soothing vibrations to the skin through a small wearable, that um, that the, and the the frequencies activate your touch receptors in your skin, just like somebody holding your hand who you like uh, when you're stressed out, um, or just like hearing a nice song come on that calms down when you're stressed out. And these frequencies activate 
your nerve cells and your skin that instantly send safety signals to the emotional cortex of your brain that say, hey, Kevin, you're safe. You can just focus on this email right now and get it over with. And it's not something to worry about. And it works. Right. And I think that that's important in the work environment in particular, because so many of us, like you forgot to, you forget whether or not you locked the door or whether you turned on the dishwasher or whether you fed the cat because you're projecting into the future, right? The body is always here, but our mind is all sorts of places. And so what we found with Apollo is that this thing sends these vibrations to your body, which signal to your brain that you're not under threat, which makes it much easier for it, it basically your body signaling to your brain that you're safe, which allows the person to have way more control over what they focus on and what they're thinking about and how their and how their emotions play out. Like for instance, if you're laying in bed at night and your brain is thinking about all the things you didn't do or all the things you got to do tomorrow, you're going to have a really hard time falling asleep. That's not just because your mind's racing. Your mind is partially racing because your body feels stressed out. Your body is in a fight or flight mode. And what's happened uh, in the U.S. and abroad, I mean, I think it was last week, the World Health Organization defined burnout as an actual treatable syndrome that needs to be addressed, which is just chronic work-related stress. And what's happening physiologically is we're sending ourselves into fight or flight mode all the time. Okay. And this causes a dysregulation in our body, which makes it it's hard to meditate or deep breathe or use your apps to calm down when your body is signaling to your brain that you are not safe. And so what Apollo does by sending these vibrations is increases the feeling of safety. And we've seen that not only in the subjective responses, but in these lab trials to actually demonstrate that people's bodies calm down, right? Their heart rate settles out. They're breathing, eating this out. They stop sweating so much. Um, they feel better, and therefore they can focus better or they can fall asleep faster. Um, and that's what's really exciting is that this tool works really quickly. Within a couple minutes, you'll notice the effects. You can track it in the app. You can actually see your progress over time. And what we're doing is we're empowering the individual by helping bring the body back to homeostasis so that they can decide what they're going to pay attention to and if, how they're going to focus and get them restored to sleep so that they can feel better and perform at their best and not be frustrated that they, you know, forgot, you know, they forgot to dot the I's and cross the T's because they were present in the moment. They were there in it. They were in a, and they were able to get in the zone and focus. No, very cool. So you guys quickly both covered it, but I really want to dive more into the actual wearable and the app. Um, and, and how these things work together and actually uh, work with people. So walk me through, so I, I buy, well, what exactly is the wearable? Is it like a watch type thing or, or how does it work? Yeah, so the wearable is a sports band. Okay. Um, it has, it, and it can be worn on the wrist or okay. it can be worn on the ankle. Okay. Um, does it have a have screen? No, it doesn't okay. have a screen. So it's, it's um, it looks like a sports band and the band goes over the top. So you can oh, change okay. out the band, right? And it make it look like you want it, want it to look. And it's, it's small. And you can either wear it on your wrist or your ankle. Okay. Um, and it, it has two buttons on it that allow you to control the, the intensity and allow you to control the device without your phone. So you can be untethered. I think the cool, the cool part about it with the app is that the app is a pretty intentional 
uh, experience. And so people can select basically programs that send that make it that send frequencies through this device that feel like gentle wave-like vibrations. Some people tell me it feels like a cat. Some people tell me it feels like the ocean or being at the beach. Oh, um, and what it does is they'll select a program, you know, to either wake up or focus better or to help them fall asleep faster. And what's really neat is that the Apollo software can integrate into biometric data so that you can track your health progress over time. And so I think the main, a key difference is a lot of technologies are trackers, sure, right? Where they tell you how many steps you took or what your heart rate's like, but it's hard for the, a regular person to know what to do with that information. Sure, and what's really cool about, yeah, what's cool about Apollo is that you can, you can see what your goal was and how your health progress changed over time as you use it. And it's a real intervention, it's a real tool it makes it easier for you to achieve those goals that people are using other wearables for, right? You know, I want to get better sleep. I want to be healthier. I want to, uh, you know, I want to track my health progress and see, you know, if I can work out more, live, live a healthier life, meditate more. And Apollo really is a tool to help facilitate those actions. And we find that over time, people fall asleep faster, they get better rest. They feel better. They're able to focus better at work. 95% of our users are reporting that they fall asleep faster and are able to focus more easily. Um, and they can track that. They can see quantifiably that what they're experiencing is happening, and they can track that with their data. Interesting. So I, I want to dive. You, you mentioned kind of focus and sleep, but you guys also talk about on your, your site about like kind of re-energizing and actually being social because I think – at least in, in my past experiences, sometimes when you're burnt out or you're stressed out or, or both, you don't want anything to do with anybody, really, right? You kind of just want to go to your job, come home, and, and just kind of completely check out. So how do you guys use Apollo to actually help in those, those cases? So one of the things that's happening is that when you get chronically stressed out, your body starts to become fatigued. Right. Okay. So if you are working late all the time or, or you have a lot of stress at work or at home, what ends up happening is you start to run your body down and the body naturally gets run down over time if we don't get sufficient rest. And that rest isn't necessarily just taking a break. Right. Like you might not get restoration, even if you spend some time, you know, watching television or whatever it may be. That doesn't necessarily mean you've restored yourself. The way to restore yourself is to really allow the body to rest and to really allow your body to come back to homeostasis because we have to build ourselves back up in order to be able to engage. And so the way that Apollo helps people socialize better or to uh, really manage their energy is it sends these vibrations that improve the body's recovery. And the way it does that is by signaling safety to the brain. And so when you're really run down and stressed out, your brain is firing fear. And when your brain is saying fear, we're stressed, we're under threat, we need to rest, what ends up happening is if you deep breathe or you meditate or you take time to regularly exercise, you're going to help bring your body into a restorative state and you're going to feel better, you're going to feel more energized, you're going to be able to go out and socialize. Apollo works in the same way but through a different pathway. Interesting. So Apollo sends these vibrations to the body that 
signal this safety to the brain and by doing so calm the body. And when the body calms down, the mind clears and people report feeling much better, feeling at ease and ha having an easier time, kind of an active social situation because their mind isn't elsewhere. They're not thinking about all the things that are stressful. They're just thinking about being in the moment, being present, communicating with other people. And it really facilitates an ability to have a much more enriching experience um, because when you feel better, you're able to be your best self, you're right. You're able to express not, who you are. And you're not judging yourself in real time. Also, sure. I think that's a big part of it. You're in a state where you're much more, you know, open to others and compassionate to yourself and you're, and you're present with the moment and not resisting what's happening. You're able to sort of go with the flow. Um, and that's, and similarly, that's one of the things we showed in our study was that Apollo seems to be improving performance by inducing flow states or these peak performance states, um, which is also critically important to have meaningful relationships and positive social situations. Yeah. And one of the ways we track this is HRV, which is heart rate variability. Okay. And heart rate variability is really a measure. It's a well-validated measure. I mean, if you have an Apple Watch or Fitbit or a variety of other trackers, they'll track HRV. And what HRV is really telling you is how, where am I on the stress spectrum, Okay. right? If your HRV is low, it generally is a sign that you're maybe tired out, you haven't slept well, your body is strained, you might be getting sick, but you don't feel that great. And HRV is really a metric to say, ooh, I don't feel very good, and look at my HRV, right. not so good. And when you are well-rested and you're not stressed out and you practice meditation or mindfulness or deep breathing or regular exercise, basically, if you're healthy, your HRV is high, consistently high. And having low HRV one day or a couple days isn't a big deal. But when your HRV is low over time, it's a sign that you might be predisposed to ending, to being anxious or having trouble sleeping. And what it is, is just a sign that your body is really stressed out. So one of the ways we measure what Apollo's doing is HRV. We show, have shown in the lab trials that Apollo can increase heart rate variability, but we've also seen in our users over time that their heart rate variability improves over time when they use it. And the reason is that they're able to calm down more easily and they have more control and that they're also able to get the restorative rest they need in order to be able to bounce back and to, to, to focus well and to, and to work well. And they're just, Apollo is here as a tool to help people feel better. And what's been really great for us as data nerds is to be able to see that not only do people feel better, but we can see it and they can see it for themselves too. Interesting. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on, on something. And we kind of touched on it a little bit before we actually started recording. But I think like obviously mental health seems to be getting a lot more traction and a lot more companies and, and individuals and people and society seem to be at least having the conversation and trying to make it somewhat normal and that I think everybody will go through it at some point in their life just at varying degrees. But I feel like we're talking about it more, but very few people and or companies and, and society isn't really actually doing anything about it. Do you agree with that? Or what are your guys' thoughts around that? So I think people are, I definitely think people are talking about it more. Sure. Um, and that's, and that's a real issue, right? If the world health organization is defining burnout as a diagnosable disorder that needs to be treated, right? We're raising at a global scale that things are going on. And in the U S in particular, 
and we have 120,000 deaths a year to stress, wow. stress attributed illness. Right. And then like the average person is losing over 11 days of productivity each year just because they're stressed out. And that could mean they couldn't go to work that day or it could mean they went to work and they couldn't focus or they got sick because, you know, they need to take a mental health day. And it's 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 making a big difference in people's lives as individuals. And it's making a big difference to the way that we work and, you know, group dynamic at work and people's level of satisfaction, because if you're so stressed, you can't focus. You don't feel good about right. what you do every day. And that is, is negative. And so I think people are definitely talking more about it. Businesses are definitely trying. If you see corporate wellness um, programs, I mean, people are starting to invest in these and people are seeing a return. Um, the challenge is that, you know, not every, I mean, the challenge is a lot of this is behavior change. Um, and a lot of onus is put on the individual that it's their responsibility. And the reason that that's hard is because we're not being set up in a way that that's really easy. Because, I mean, part of the reason that we're burning out is because the human body is not designed for the way that we work. Right. Constant email and constant connectedness and distraction is sending a fear center in our brains into overdrive. And that makes it hard for us to focus and it makes it hard for us to sleep. And so one of the really interesting things about Apollo as a tool is that it's sending these vibrations that signal safety. And that what we've seen is that, that give, by giving that a person that moment of pause, they're able to focus better and perform better and fall asleep better, not because it's a magic pill, but because what it's doing is the same things that meditation and yoga and mindfulness do, but in a different modality. And really it's just accelerating your ability to recover from stress so that you can have more control. And that's, that was really our whole purpose. Interesting. Well, and to be, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I, I know some people and I'm sure like everybody or not everybody, I should, shouldn't say everybody, but I'm sure a lot of people have tried to take like sleeping pills to sleep better or, or other things, right. To kind of counteract some of these other issues. Right. And obviously mm -hmm. those have different effects or you end up dependent on something um, that kind of thing. So how do you guys at Apollo kind of help people deal with that kind of stuff and maybe get them to stop taking sleeping pills, for example? So one thing that's really interesting about Apollo and what we've seen, and I, I again, my, one of my focuses in psychiatry is addiction psychiatry. And so we really focus hard on trying to design a technology that would not be addictive. Um, and what's interesting is about Apollo is we see exactly that, that people are not becoming dependent on it. They're in fact using it just like they use meditation or mindfulness to learn a, a new skill, the skill being to feel safer, to help themselves feel safer, which allows their nervous system to reach balance, as Kathy was saying, or homeostasis, which allows all the safety pathways to activate, which allow creativity, suggestion, reproduction, uh, mood regulation, all these important things that make our life good can start to become active in our bodies, aside from the fight or flight response. So the idea being that we designed this to help people come off of medicine by understanding that the understanding that the, that they were the single most important piece of their own healing process, and that there's a there's a critical uh, idea in psychology, which is that, and in all of medicine, which is that as a doctor, you can't be responsible for healing your patients. All we are is facilitators to teach our patients how to heal, and the real 
healing process has to come from within them. They have to decide to take, make the change to heal themselves. But the, the catch-22 of this, of this problem is that fear inhibits change. And we're not good at making change or focusing or sleeping or doing any of these things when we're in a state of threat. And so, uh, and so safety allows us to set the stage and the foundation for us to start to make these changes in our lives. Um, and what we see with Apollo is people using it will voluntarily start drinking less caffeine because they're feeling like they're able to manage energy more effectively in the morning with Apollo and without caffeine. And if they don't need caffeine, they won't drink it. And similarly with alcohol at night um, and similarly with sleeping pills and with some other opioids and benzodiazepines, people will actually uh, voluntarily decrease the use of these medicines because if they can rely on something that doesn't have side effects that can increase their ability to feel that they can cope with stress on their own rather than relying on something completely outside of their bodies that has potential risk, then they would prefer, you know, to do something less harmful. I think you bring up an interesting point about people having trouble sleeping and focusing. And so they end up turning to these medications that are, that are habit forming. And we've all seen kind of the negative consequences of some of these, I mean, opioids, being one that's very obvious sure. for the current opioid crisis in the U.S., but also overuse of sleeping pills and benzodiazepines. And a lot of people are resistant or fearful of taking these things because of the habit-forming nature, but, but they are prescribed them and they use them because they're suffering, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, they're suffering sure. with, real, with real human challenges. I mean, not being able to sleep is so frustrating. Yeah. And sleep is so critical to our health. And people get really... Like they, they don't want to, but they end up feeling like they have to, and they have to rely on something like a, like a sleeping pill to help them go to sleep because they're so desperate to go to sleep. Sure. And, and so the, the concept there is that part of the challenge with sleeping and with regulating your energy throughout the day when you're stressed is that your brain is in a fear state. And so it's hard to slow down your thoughts. And it's hard to unwind to get rest, um, particularly if you end up looking at the clock and realizing it's two in the morning and you haven't slept a wink. Sure. And then when you wake up in the morning, you have to drink a bunch of caffeine to rev yourself back up. And you end up in this cycle where you're revving yourself up, but you aren't really restoring yourself, right? You're just sure. kind of creating energy, but then you crash because it's not real. And then you take something else to go to sleep, whether that's drinking a glass or two of wine or it's taking you know, a habit-forming medication, whatever it may be. And I think the way that Apollo and what we've seen with our users has been really exciting is that people use Apollo intentionally. And what we find is that people will use it in the late afternoon to get more energy and kind of get through that post-lunch slump sure. instead of drinking the extra cup of coffee. And then what ends up happening is you didn't drink that extra cup of coffee. So it's easier for you to fall asleep because you haven't you know really jacked oh, yourself up on caffeine sure and then when you go to fall asleep if you are using this product that you can schedule to turn on when it's time to go to sleep and time to wake up it kind of helps ease you into a more relaxed state by just sending kind of soothing these soothing waveforms that help your body relax and so what we've seen is that people taper off taking uh, drinking as much alcohol but when they're in purpose for the alcohol, it's not just to go out with their friends, but to sure. help them fall asleep. And we also see that people uh, report to us that they are starting to take fewer habit-forming medications. And the reason for that is because what Apollo is doing is it's helping them 
have more autonomy and more control over the way that they feel. And so they don't, they, because they feel better, they don't end up taking the medication. They don't feel like they need the medication to feel better. Right. And I think that the, the point there is that no one wants to feel like they need something. Right. 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 No one wants to feel like they are not empowered. And I think the point with Apollo is that this simple technology really accelerates your body's ability to recover. And it's non-invasive and it's non-habit forming. And you can, by signaling the body that you're safe, much like the way soothing music works or meditation works, is that you're just speeding up how quickly your body can relax. Right. And that allows it really what it does over time is that we see people continually use it, but that their use of it becomes very intentional and that over time the body gets into these states of calm much quicker, much like if people meditate regularly or exercise regularly, the body starts to learn that cycle. And it's really important to understand that, you know, we are what we practice. So if you practice being stressed out, your body will be stressed out. If you practice being safe and calm, your body will learn to be calm. That's why people struggle to learn to meditate in the beginning because uh, you have these negative intrusive thoughts and you're not calm. So your body is not in a calm state. It makes it really hard to meditate. But over time, your body learns how to do that. Right. And you can, it becomes yeah, easier. Yeah. And so Apollo works the same way by sending these neural pathways of safety. Your body's like, oh, yeah, my email is not a bear. This traffic jam isn't going to kill me. This phone ringing is not a real threat. And what ends up happening then is that you relax and you have more control. And so Apollo is really just here as a tool to help people take more control so that they can sleep better and they can focus better. And they're not relying on something outside themselves. It's just a way of training their bodies to combat what is not natural, right? The constant email pings are not normal. But we have to adapt to this, you know, to the world we live in and modern life. And so this is a tool to use technology in a way that actually benefits people. No, yeah, interesting. So when are people going to be able to get the actual uh, band and, and the app? So Apollo is going to be officially released in the fall. Okay, because we are kind of coming to the end of the show. So I, I want to know, is it going to be Android, iOS, or, or how is that going to work? So the app is available on both platforms, okay. Apple and iOS. And the way that someone gets Apollo is they go um, to our website um, and they um, subscribe. And so Apollo is not selling a hardware. You subscribe monthly subscription to the app okay. um, and we send you the device for free. And the reason for that is that the app learns about you over time. Okay. So to curate the experience. So as you use it, the, um, the software learns which frequencies work best for you, uh, what time of day is best for you. And so the, the, as you use it, the experience gets better and better and more individualized to you. Okay. And then how much is it going to be? Have you guys figured that out yet? So we're looking at the monthly subscription, but it will be, it will be somewhere between the 15 to 30 bucks a month range. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so where can people actually go uh, get more information about you guys? And uh, if you want to mention any other links uh, to close out the show. Sure. You can find out more about us at Apollo neuroscience.com or Apollo neuro.com. So that's 
A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you both taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.